This episode may not be suitable for all audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to 24 Karat Conversations with Phyllis and Rhonda, where two best friends decided to start a podcast on real women, real friendships, and real issues. Our mission Bible verse is Job 2310. Yet he knows the way I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. We want to encourage, inspire, and offer hope in a world where life can seem to be unrealistic. Be a support for you to cheer you on as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Most of all, you get to relax and laugh with us about all things women. Plus, we like all things sparkly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hello, 24 Carat Tribe. I know that you have been sitting on the edge of your seats waiting to hear the rest of Shelly Kennedy's story. So here is part two. And if you are just catching part two, you want to go back and listen to last week's episode, the part one of Shelly Kennedy's story. So enjoy and sparkle on. The only way then for me to walk out my purity then or or to try to sanctify myself in holiness was to get married. Mm. And so about two years later, Mm. I started dating this guy. Um, It was the very next meaningful relationship that I had and we got married. And I was, you know, very determined to do that because that's where, you know, inside marriage is where uh, sex is sanctified. It's where it becomes holy again. It's where you have children, it's where I felt like I could redeem myself in that mm. right time frame. And um, my then husband and I would serve in young marriage ministry. Um, and we tried for a year, we waited for four years to try and we tried for a year. And I was like, this is absolute, this is poetic that I can't get pregnant because I don't deserve to be a mom. I'm clearly a murderer. Um, my my husband then knew that what I had done, you know, I was honest with him prior to getting to getting married because I was going through a radical shift in my life where, you know, I was this one person and now I'm this like Bible banging um, <laughs> twice on Sunday person again. And it was probably very jarring to people because I didn't know why. Um, but I just had to fix myself and fix the, the issues of what I've done and create a culture where I could still you know, have sex and be in relationship and mm-hmm. have my power in that without having the sin and the murder and all the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we get married. Um, and so then we try for a year and I'm positive that this is God's way of saying that you don't deserve to be a mom. I mm-hmm. gave you an opportunity and you squandered it. And that was sort of the view I had on him was, you know, he's a judgmental God that I had one opportunity and I screwed up and I haven't even sought redemption or penance from, you know, that event. Um, and so I went up and I received a deliverance, uh, prayer with a church that, um, offers like deliverance healing. It's like inner healing. Um, and they prayed over me and it was the first time I had told somebody else, uh, especially in Christian leadership, what I had done, you know, And we prayed over that um, part of my life to be released from me. And I asked for forgiveness and I asked the Lord, you know, in, in first, uh, first John one, nine, uh, it says, you know, if we are, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I went through the the forgive the forgiveness part, like, will you forgive me? I asked him to forgive me. Um, And I, I just kind of left that part there Mm -hmm. and I was very, I freed up from that. Um, at that point. And then I found out about a month later, oh, and and while we were praying, the Lord had kind of given me a picture of a woman who was pregnant and 
she had the world inside of her, her belly, inside of her womb. And so I just was feeling like very connected to God. And I was like, oh, thank you so much for, you know, forgiving me. And uh, I was pregnant then with my now son a month later. So he, uh, right after that, that prayer where I actually asked for forgiveness, um, was, did I become pregnant? And mind you, even at this time frame, like I hadn't even processed what it was I was done. All I really had was relief mm-hmm. um, that I didn't have at that point, you mm-hmm. know, a five or six year old. Um, and I could go on with my life the way that I, so it'd be a lie to say that like I instantly regretted it. I, I enjoyed the freedom that I had um, and really felt like I, you know, dodged a bullet on that one, mm-hmm. but hadn't really reconciled what it was that I had done to gain that, you know. So my son is born and I remember I I had him in my arms and I just remember this very odd but extremely powerful overwhelming emotion hit me of what I had done um the first time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what you know I think that a lot of times as moms we can look at moms who who have abortions and have this like very significant amount of judgment on them um, because we know what it's like to hold our children and to raise mm-hmm. our children and the love and the bond that you have. They didn't have that. And so I didn't understand fully what it was I was doing. It's being incredibly selfish and self-serving. But when I held him, I just bawled. And that lasted for the better part of maybe two months. Um, every time I would get in the shower I would just cry and just cry and cry and cry. I mean, like heaving cry, um, just undone about what it was that I had done. And just now, you know, six years of smashed shame, just kind of coming out of every pore of me. Um, And I spent that whole first year of my son's life pretty positive that he was going to not wake up one day and just be dead. Um, very terrified every time that he would get a sniffle I'd be like God's going to take him from me and um, still was living in that sort of like condemnation obviously on what I had done versus um, my actual redemption because I did ask him to forgive me and I believe that he did forgive me however I didn't do the second half of that verse Mm -hmm. which is the cleansing me from all unrighteousness right so yeah. I think that verse is so powerful, but there's a major jump between asking God to forgive you, um, that he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cause we can still say very plainly, like God forgives me, but do you believe that like what you have done is no longer who you are? And there's a shame middle that goes in the mm-hmm. between the two of yes, God forgives you, but can you forgive yourself? And usually for most people, it's no. And so, especially when it comes to something like that, I mean, murder, I mean, we laugh all the time about, you know, as card carrying Christians, we know there's several of the big sins that you just do not do. Um, And that is of the top, you know? And so now you're this mom who's an ex-murderer. And at that point, it wasn't an ex-murderer. It was just murderer. Um, And I'm, and now I'm trying to raise this, uh, you know, my next child that I chose to keep. And there's so much as in your heart that you're trying to reconcile that as a mom. It's just really a terrifying, narrow plank to walk. You know, what's interesting is when you were talking about uh, 
finding deliverance. Um, it, it makes me think of like, you know, you go into church and you, we, we always say like, you can't pray that stuff away. Like that's right. God has to actually seep into your inner soul okay. to heal that shame, to bring you to the other side. And we so often as a church, as, as people want to just be like, well, now you're healed, you're recovered, but we haven't dealt with all the junk that's inside of there. And so I think, you know, when you're saying like, you're in the shower, you're crying, heaving, crying, like, of course you are, because you know that God's forgiven your sin, but you haven't dealt with the own guilt and shame that you feel within your own heart. And, and I think that that is the thing, if anything that we, anybody can take away from this is that like, God doesn't want you to sit in your shame. He wants you to speak it and to share it. And I think so often as Christians, we're so shameful of what we've done. We just would rather just not speak of it and just say he has delivered us, but it's that messy middle. And Phyllis and I just got done doing a podcast a couple of weeks ago about, you know, that tension that's in the messy middle, that that's where the redeeming power of Jesus Christ actually comes in and redeems you because that messiness is what people need to hear. They don't need yeah. to hear that I was this perfect Christian and then I did this one little thing and then I became another, pre- then I'm back to being a perfect I'm Christian. Free. Ugly, yeah. it's the ugly yeah. is where he works. And I, I just love that, Shelly. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just speechless. <laughs> when you think about one of the first shame stories was you think about Adam and Eve, right? Because mm-hmm. it didn't take long for humanity to walk in shame. It was from mm-hmm. the jump. Um, you know, when they, when they sinned, they didn't. So every day that it's the scripture says that God would come and they would find, he would find them and they would hang out together in the cool of the day. So this would be a daily thing. And when they fell, they didn't run to him. I imagine it happened in the heat of the day later on that the snake came. Um, and so it wasn't when they didn't run to him right away and be like, look at this horrible thing we did. He had to go find them. And they had already created, so shame creates compromise, right? So when you walk in shame and you're buried in shame, you start compromising on almost every level mm-hmm. because it, you have to protect that shame. It's something you have to protect. So when he walks in, and in the cool of the day, on his regular schedule, um, and he has to find them hiding, I imagine, in some bushes. And and he asked them, you know, like, who who told you you're naked? It's like, who told you you're in shame now? They had already, and it doesn't say that the snake ever told them that you're naked and now you need to make clothes. Right. Those were probably compromises in humanity that they made on their own. Mm-hmm. They just became aware that what they had done needed some sort of covering, like you need to some sort of, you have to patchwork some covering to make sure that the shame doesn't get out. Um, so when you, when you're in, in shame and you create compromise, you're now piecing together clothing or a barrier or a cover or a mask or just a hole you crawl into to make sure that your, your shame is protected and hidden from God. He already knows. Yeah. You know, he already knows. And he comes out there and he's like, well, who told you? that you were naked. Like, why are you wearing clothes? Who told you that? And I think shame really lends itself to choosing what God you're going to serve. Like they chose to follow the devil and that's God's enemy. They chose him over God in that moment to follow him. And then you almost instantly see, and I imagine, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not that big of a theologist to know that theological professor to know if that was a year between those two or a day between those two, but there's a regular schedule that God had with them to commune with them Mm -hmm. and they were missing from it. And they were now 
piecing together pieces of, of clothing to hide themselves. Mm. And so that was the same thing that I was doing. I was trying to jam it down, package it up, not look at it. Um, but I definitely was still a murderer. And um, I remember I started to teach a young, uh, well, just a women's group here at my house. And the topic was going to be shame, right? And so I was going to, for the first time, tell people about what I had done. But I, was, I wasn't, I was selective on who I wanted to know. I only wanted the women I was teaching to know. I didn't want anybody outside of that to know. I wanted to control the, my shame story or my story mm-hmm. in general. And so I'm getting ready to preach, I think, on a Wednesday night. And, and God's like, and I'm like running through the process. Okay, so if I share this, how do I keep this from getting out? I didn't want my parents to know. I didn't want my grandparents to know. I didn't want my family to know. Um, and so I was like, how do I, how do I keep this intact? And God and all of his, you know, snarky wisdom, because that's how he talks to me. He's like, if let's just be real. If you're worried about uh, other people finding out, it's you're obviously still in shame, you know? Mm. And now you're going to talk about how to get out of shame. And I was like, okay, so. Selectively. Yeah, selectively. It's selective shame sharing, you know? So, <laughs> and I was like, he's like, so, um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm set to preach Wednesday, so what do we got to do? And he's like, you need to go up and you need to tell your parents. And I was like, Oh, heck no. <laughs> heck no. I don't need to preach Wednesday now is basically what my thing was. Like, oh, change <laughs> the topic. No, this is my out. Yeah. <laughs> not doing it. We'll change the graphics, the title, the invite, everything's different. We're going to teach on, I don't know, you know, discipleship or something <laughs> more safe. And so I, I didn't get out of it. And I just, grabbed on to that experience and I drove up there and I told my parents, you know, I was like, there's something I need to share with you. And I just, I went into the kitchen right after I got there. And I think they kind of knew that there's something was up. And I was like, so, um, I, you know, just dropped it hard in the middle of the kitchen. And I, you know, was like, this happened and I, I had an abortion and I just need you to know. And it's harder when you tell your parents because it's, it's like telling them about their first grandchild that they never knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you call it what it is, which a lot of people won't, because if we associate children or lineage or those are my grandchildren, and that was my firstborn, that's where you really start to connect the pain to what you, are, what you have done. And um, so we just don't like to do that. That's why in society we call it a fetus and we call it an abortion. It's very clinical. Um, but in reality, it's, it's their firstborn. You know, it was the first child that I conceived. Um, and so they're connected. So it's harder to tell your parents what you have done. Um, I made vows that they would never know. And so here I am telling them, which was just horrible. And my mom starts crying, you know. And I associated that instantly with, I'm, I'm just grieved her heart because of what I've done. I've killed her grandchild. And, you know, all these triggers start going off in my head. And so I just kind of like, sturdied myself and just leaned into it and be like, okay, just, you know, you do what you need to do. You grieve. And I, she's trying to speak and I'm just like, it's fine. You don't have to say anything. And she's like trying to catch her breath. And I'm just like waiting for the, the hammer to fall. And how could you, and do you understand what you've done? And this hurts me so badly. And, and she finally composes herself and she just through muttered, like sobbing, she just said, I just can't 
I'm so sorry you had to do that alone. Mm. And I just stared at her like I could not imagine that I heard that right, you know? And that's exactly why God wanted me to drive up there and drop that mm. like a bag of bricks in my kitchen, my parents' kitchen was because that was his heart for me. Mm. He wanted me to know that like, yes, I know you did something horribly wrong, but the worst part is that you did that totally alone and away from me. And it makes me emotional to this day. Yeah. That my mom, you know, completely rewrote a narrative that I had believed that I didn't yeah. even know I was believing that I had to suppress this and, and keep it alone because there wasn't anybody who was going to understand me. Mm-hmm. And in reality, the Lord was there the entire time. So I wasn't alone, but I felt like I was alone because I had to hide mm-hmm. it from everybody. And her heart for me, which was completely opposite of what I thought was coming, was that she was the most sad, not about that the child, which I'm sure she processed on her own, But when it came to her child, she was the most distraught that I did that alone and that I had so much pain and felt like I had to do that by myself. Mm. What a great representation of Christ's love for us, right? Right. I mean, that connected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, especially because you would expect a different reaction from your parents, especially being raised in church. But, right. to, you know, that, that just, I mean, you made me a mother that. loves her child. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And how much more does the scripture say that does he love us? us yeah. And so yeah. if we can just reconcile that, you know, between what her response was mm-hmm. and what his response was, that is why now I can, I hate grieving his heart. You know, I hate mm-hmm. grieving my mom's heart that way, but I never saw it from a non-legalistic view. I never saw her heart like that. Um, and, but I now see my God's heart in a completely different way where it's like, don't ever go there alone. Like, why do you, who told you you're yeah. naked? Who told yeah. you to yeah. hide from me? Why did you not run to me? Yeah. Why did you not? And that's what we have to address now in the church. It's like, why was that not the first place I ran to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my immediate reaction was to keep this private and yeah. to keep it quiet. I never would imagine in a million years that I would find my God's heart in a church for me ever. And I experienced lots of, of churches. So I just didn't, there was no path for me to find God's heart in church. Um, I found it in a very unexpected spot. Um, but from that moment on, I started to go through a process of the cleanse part of first John one, nine, where it says that he forgives us and then cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And I started walking through a process of not only just asking for forgiveness, which I felt like I did, it was a box to check, right? Because legally I'm supposed to ask for forgiveness and then that's how I'm cleansed, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want to walk in sin. So my out is asking you to forgive me. You give me the forgiveness pass. And then I go on with life, right? That didn't work. I got, I got the forgiveness pass. I understood that I was no longer going to be charged with my sin in essence, but the cleanse part never came for me. And I later, I realized through this process that he was walking me through that the cleanse part means that I was restored back to before I had ever originally sinned. Mm. So that meant that was restored back to before 
I had chosen to give away my purity in the very beginning. I was restored back to the pinnacle of before I had had sex for the first time. I was restored back to before I was sitting on that clinic's table. Mm. And I now can stand and tell you about a story that happened to me as though it had happened to someone else, because that is how restored and cleansed I am. And the difference between about how I'm raising my son versus maybe how some people who are locked in shame from abortions, because I we were we were talking about this off air prior to, but it's it's staggering the statistics of how many women have had abortions. It's one in three by the time you get through your childbearing years, and it's mirrored in the church, yeah. if not maybe more because yeah. it's more unreported. And not only is, because sex is more of a stigma in church than it is in culture. So abortions mean I can still look pure, Mm -hmm. you know? And so there's even more of a temptation to do that. Um, But it's still one in three. So that means when you're sitting in a pew that has 25 people in it, let's say half those people are women. That's a lot of women in a church. Yeah, And you do not... You do not, there is an absolute void, Phyllis, of mine and your voice, our voices in the church. Yeah, it I just, agree. there's a total void. There's a vacuum um, yeah. of people willing to speak on this because it's such a topic that um, you just, you bury it, you patch, you patchwork your, your loincloths together, you hide in the bushes and that's where you stay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God will come and he'll try to find you and be like, who told you to sit there? Who told you to sit like that? in your shame and not talk. Um, and so I, I preached that following Wednesday on shame and I was just rocked doing it. You know, I mean, like, I was like, you guys, this is how God feels about me. It's so amazing. I mean, it was like in real time, I was like telling people about you guys, it's brand new information to a lot of people I've done life with too, at that point. And they were just trying to like, understand what happened and then what just you, happened so you're free. Like, I mean, you're like glowing like i understand like are yeah. you a murderer shouldn't you be in the bushes still yeah. and i'm like you guys his, he loves me and his biggest yeah. takeaway was like i didn't do that alone and i was like processing it while i was preaching and so from then on i started to just kind of speak at women's women's things and um it's just Daggering, and I don't think very few people will fully get to see what I see when I get done speaking on that. And women I've known for, you know, a long time will come up to me and they'll tell me, I never told anybody, but I've had that, I've done that. And I never would have thought I would have told somebody, but I'm going to tell you because of your vulnerability. And I've had, um, you know, there's women preachers. Mm-hmm. in my that will sit under when I talk about it and then they will go home and they will tell their husbands for the first time that they had done that um and then they will there's been people that will go then get on stage and then they'll tell their story um because of of what happens when we start talking about and that is so intentional it's so intentional because there's if we can rate if we can have a whole there, there's a lot of focus on the father is fatherless generation right but there isn't much talk on the fact of the murderous motherhood. You know, I mean, like we really are uh, now raising the next generation as murderers because we never get um, fully reconciled to uh, 
restored back to before we had done something so so heinous before. And so now we raise, you know, the second generation or the next generation behind us. And we don't know how to teach them about purity because first off, we don't feel qualified because we didn't do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we let them kind of just, you know, either A, teach themselves how to do that, which our generation, we were raised sort of like that. And then we don't feel like we can stand on any platform. I don't feel that way because I've been restored back to before I was sinned. I had sinned. So I, I don't bring that person into my conversations with my son. I bring my restored person into conversations with my son about sex. And um, we've been talking about sex ever since he was little. I remember one time we were talking about how the vacuum plugs into the wall, you know, and how, you know, you, you, this is, I'm like, he was like maybe six or seven. I'm like, this is a really good depiction of what intimacy like is sexual intimacy is like, it's like the man plugs into the girl and there's like connection of electricity. And then there's, it's powerful. It powers things. Yeah. And then other events happen because of that powerfulness. I and mean, that's the kind of stuff we talk about. Um, because when you're from, when you teach from a restored person, as though you had never sinned, you're not bringing into the fact that I was an ex-purity person or an ex-murderer. I'm doing it from a pure, non-tainted, non-sinful, um, non-shameful yeah. person as a mom. But when we're not talking about it, we make vows to make sure we never get restored by always keeping it a secret. We will teach our kids to do the same. Mm-hmm. That is so good, Charlotte. I mean, I I feel like we could do like multiple episodes on this. <laughs> I mean, you have such a. It's going to be a regular. Yeah, you're gonna okay, you're good. gonna be on. You are gonna be on again for sure. Um, and there's so many things I want to ask you, but I, I think I'm just going to kind of close with this, um, and because I feel like it was that 23 year old girl. Um, that started down a path that maybe she wishes she hadn't. So what would you tell your 22 year old self? Oh gosh. The father's heart for you is so different than you think it is. Mm. You know, I think that would tell everybody that you're there's roles and then there's relationship. And I'm totally rocked by God's relationship for me and his heart for me. And when I'm just trying to follow the rules I'll never make it, Mm. you know, I'll never make it. I'll never punish myself into purity. Um, My purity now comes from just his love for me. And that just sounds so, you know, postcardy, but Mm. it just really is like, I will never grieve his heart the way I felt like I grieved his heart through what my mom said in the kitchen. Mm. Um, I'll always do things with him now. Um, There's not a day I don't do life with him without him. I'm sorry. Um, So that's what I would tell me then. Uh, I don't know. I was pretty hell bent then, but um, his heart for me is a lot different than I ever anticipated. And I'm still discovering his heart. I'm in in my mid forties and I'm just still now, I feel like I'm just learning God for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that comes through there's the scripture that says those who have been forgiven much love much. Yeah. Like what he has given me freedom from my bondage for that. Um, because you know, that wasn't the only ill 
fated decision I made. I made several decisions in my shame that cost me a marriage, um, that cost me time, money. Um, my loincloth that I pieced together was a failure for another 15 years. Um, so if I just knew his heart for me and I just took time to sit with him and have him be enough, that would have gotten me through a lot of damage. And that's why he sets those rules there. They're not to punish us into purity and not have fun and not plug our vacuums into the wall. Cause it's a good time, yeah. <laughs> but it's to keep me from the total pain that I still have. I'm, I'm cleansed, but I'm not free of pain, you know, mm -hmm. and that pain keeps me in close relationship with him still. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. and just being so incredibly honest and transparent. I think that's, you know, that's our goal, as I've told you with 24 karat, um, because we just want to, you know, emerge as pure gold and be refined by our heavenly father, even through the tough stuff. So where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? We are definitely going to have you on again. I'm just letting you know right now. Because <laughs> there's more to this story. There's more. There's more to this story. It's quite an entangled web. I have web. Uh, uh, yes, I'm actually, so I'm, I briefly mentioned I, I've gone through a divorce, um, which is, you know, again, of the card carrying Christian category of things you don't do. I've nailed them all. Um, I, uh, and so I am writing a devotional and a guide of sorts. I don't know quite how it's going to look, but it's called the good girl's guide to divorce. Um, and, uh, right now I think we've just launched an Instagram handle. There's no followers, no posts, no nothing on there, but, uh, it is called good girl's guide to divorce. Um, and that's, where uh, you can start following and, and stay tuned for more of that stuff that's coming up. Uh, because there is, you can get a divorce as a Christian woman, the Bible says. Um, so there are ways to do that. And uh, they are not outlined in the Bible and definitely not helpful in the church uh, to, mm -hmm. to teach you and show you how to do that. Um, so that's my, uh, my goal on, on, on bringing that to the, the Christian church. Oh my gosh. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for joining us today. And 24 Karat Tribe, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to follow us, like, subscribe, and share to 24 Karat Conversations. And until next time, sparkle on. Bye. Bye. Peace.